Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Did the men's national championship win over Georgia Tech, which was an anticlimax after the Duke game? So. We went. We had to drive to Austin. I flew Austin to Dallas to New Orleans. Did the national championship game that night? The women beat the Evil Empire from Tennessee. Diana Taurasi's third straight national championship. And then finally Wednesday, flew home, hosted the women's pep rally. And 2004 was my favorite memory, just because it was. I'm lucky enough to have been the only person to have broadcast two teams in the Final Four that both won. Great to have you on the show today. Before we get to my guest, raise your hand if you had the Phoenix Suns two wins away from the Western Conference Finals when the season began back in December. And how about Michael Malone, the head coach of the Nuggets, after the game, after the blowout loss, saying that his team quit. How about that? Got to love Michael Malone. He doesn't give a damn. He's going to say what he wants. Love that about the guy. But uh, boy, how about that series? Phoenix. Just absolutely running over the Denver Nuggets. Hey, my show today is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. For your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com. And remember, their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. And again, I want to thank those that have sent me emails or messages on social media saying thank you for recommending New Works Plumbing. They've had great experiences with New Works, and that makes me very happy. Love talking about them every day on my podcast. Again, they'll do the same for you whenever you need your plumbing repairs, whatever your needs are. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast is truly one of the <laughs> guys that I've shared a lot of laughs with really have had uh, very good memories over the years when I worked uh, briefly at ESPN Radio in the late 90s and walking into the Bristol headquarters and ESPN Radio with uh, some of the phenomenal, phenomenal, talented people there was a real thrill. And a guy that is synonymous with Connecticut sports, he's done so much in that state. He's won multiple Sportscaster of the Year awards, UConn men's basketball, women's basketball, other sports. I mean, uh, he is the man up there in that uh, part of the country. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Joe D. Ambrosio. Joe, how are you? Grant, I'm better than Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth? How pitiful is that, huh? Well, you know, I, we saw a game on Tuesday against the Rays where – Gio Urshela played shortstop and made two plays that Torres never would have made. Right. Joel Sherman in the post speculated, why don't you play Urshela at short and Torres at second and move DJ LeMayu to first until Voigt comes back and then find somebody to play third base, you know? I mean, it's just, uh, uh, it's it's not, it's, it's been, for those of us like yourself and I who root for the Yankees, it's been a, it's been a pitiful season. No, and Gary awful. Sanchez, good Lord. I mean, you could... You could do a better job at the plate than Stanchez, no question. and I've seen your swing. So. <laughs> hey, where's Tom Tresh, Horace Clark, and Joe Pepitone when you need them? Oh, absolutely. Preaching. Preaching to the choir. Preaching <laughs> to the choir. Hey, I had Tony Bruno on the podcast recently, and we were talking about the days at ESPN Radio, and I told Tony the first time I ever worked game night was with you and, and him, and 
You know, I don't get nervous very often in my life, but I'll tell you, walking into that studio and doing a show with Tony, but uh, I, it could, he could not have been nicer. Couldn't it, I had such a great experience. Isn't it amazing the friendships that you still have to this day from working back then uh, in that era, Joe? Oh, absolutely, Grant. And that includes you, obviously. But yeah, getting the chance to work with Tony and Chuck Wilson, two, two completely different types, but two brilliant uh, men at the way they, they, they approach radio. I've always told people that, that Tony's the most talented person I've ever worked with in radio. And Chuck was the most, was the most knowledgeable and intense. And, and to get a chance to be part of that for, for 14 years and, and do some of the things I did, you know, working, working NFL Sundays and, and getting to sit down with Chris Mortensen and Tom Jackson for for half an hour every Sunday morning before the games kicked off and John Clayton on the phone, you know, hosting with, with Marty, with the late Marty Schottenheimer for a year and uh, Mark May and Quad, Cadre Ishmael. It was, it was great. It was a, it was a terrific uh, experience for me. And I was just fortunate to, that Len Weiner, the program director in 96, heard me hosting a regular talk show on my old station, WTIC in Hartford, and, and offered me a job as an update guy. And then it, it kind of went on from there. But, yeah, Tony is a, Tony's the best. Tony Tony has not lost his fastball. No. As I'm sure you your listeners heard on the podcast. You know, you mentioned some of the names. It was so great when they would come in for game night, you know, whether it was Mort or – you know, Tommy Jackson, or sometimes Chris Berman would come in and he'd do 10 or 15 minutes with you, and it was so much fun. But it, it the, the thing that I loved more than anything was hanging out and watching NFL football with John Clayton and doing shows with John and picking his brain. I mean, you talk about a guy with a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the National Football League. I used to just love hanging around John and listening to him because that guy knew so much about what was going on with the league. Nobody is nobody earned their nickname more than the professor. He yep. was he was terrific, and we, we he would always be on via the phone on Sunday mornings, giving us injury updates and 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 just knocking down knowledge of the league. And you, you know you're right, and and that was the great thing about ESPN in those days was that we got to those of us lowly people in radio got to mingle with the TV folks, and the TV folks, ninety eight percent of them had no egos. You know, I mean there there might have been one or two. But but none of the people who who people are familiar with from from their legendary days there like TJ like Moore like Berman, you know who remains a good friend of mine today like Clayton you know John Butchie Grass with hockey and you know the, the Scott Van Pelt who's who's carved out an incredible niche there Linda Cohn I just you know it was just it was an amazing place to be at that time it was it was really it was really for if you love sports like we do Grant it was the place to be. The place to be also was the voice of the Huskies for as many years as you were. I mean, the the phenomenal, phenomenal runs that they had both on the men's and women's side. And you were a part of, of so many of those. When you look back at your career announcing UConn sports, what was the f- most favorite time period for you? Which era did you like the best? Well, I liked uh, – I, I did the women's games from 95 95- through 2006 when we decided to split the crews and Bob Joyce, who is still doing the games now took over at full time on the women's. He was my, he was my backup when I had a conflict with the men's, but I'd have to say the two years that stuck out was 99, obviously the first men's championship when they beat Duke. Uh, and now we hear coach Krzyzewski is going to make this next year his last, right. which is pretty ironic. And then 2004 when the men and women both won the national championships, which again they did later in 2014, but we had split our crews by then. But I was doing both the men and the women in 2004, and the women's Final Four was in New Orleans. The men's Final Four was in San Antonio. So we flew to San Antonio on a Thursday, spent Friday at the Alamo Dome doing the press conferences, did the game on Saturday, semifinal gets Duke, they trailed big in the first half. Mecca Okafor got in foul trouble. Uh, Jim always had a steadfast rule. You got two fouls in the first half, your butt was on the bench. He sat Mech out. He came back in the second half. UConn rallied and won. Next morning, I was up at the crack of dawn to fly San Antonio to Dallas to New Orleans. Took half my clothes with me, figuring if the women won, I was going to go back on Tuesday. They did. They beat Minnesota. So then Monday morning, I got up at the crack at the earliest flight available in case there was travel issues, obviously. Sure. Flew New Orleans to 
Dallas to San Antonio, did the men's national championship win over Georgia Tech, which was an anticlimax after the Duke game. And we couldn't even get a flight out on, on Tuesday morning from San Antonio because everybody was bailing out of Dodge. So we went. We had to drive to Austin and flew Austin to Dallas to, to, to New Orleans, did the national championship game that night. The women beat the evil empire from Tennessee, Diana Taurasi's third straight national championship. And then finally, Wednesday, flew home, hosted the women's pep rally and, you know, took a little time to relax. So it was, it was, it was that, that, I think, 2004 was my favorite memory just because it was, I, I'm lucky enough to have been the only person to have broadcast two teams in the Final Four that both won. Amazing. The national championship. I so. say, I say Jim Calhoun, you say what? Incredible builder, only person who could have pulled it off at UConn. Passionate, hardcore not the guy that people saw ranting and raving on the sidelines at players and, and officials, totally different. And you know this from your time, you get to know coaches in a different light than writers and, and fans do. And I, Jim and I would have, would have incredible discussions about everything with basketball before and after we would tape our pregame. Seriously? Yeah, oh, he was tremendous. Wow. He, he, we talked books, we talked sports. I mean, he was a big Boston guy. I was obviously a big sure. New York guy, so we would talk. We would talk about that. Um, talk about we would talk about every, everything under the sun, politics, wow. whatever. Yeah, he was. You know, people, and he's still coaching to this day in Division Three uh, at the University of St. Joseph's, which was which he built the pro, literally built the program there because he was. It was an all girls school, and I was already done with UConn because the rights had moved, and I couldn't. I couldn't go to the station where the games were because I had a year left on my TIC contract, and as my boss said to me. He said, you're our Aaron Judge. I'm not letting you walk across the street to the Red Sox for nothing. Sure. I said, okay. I said, now that you put it that way, I totally understand. <laughs> so, and everything happens for a reason. So, you know, I'm not, I was never, I was, I was bitter for a couple of, a couple of months and then I got over it. And, you know, I was there, I was at UConn Grant when everything was great. Everything's That's right. not great now. So. Speaking of great, there were so many great, well, let's just keep to the men's side and then we'll go over to Gino and the women's side, but so many phenomenal players have played at UConn and had tremendous NBA careers. Do you have a top five? Do you have a top two, top three? Oh, sure. That, well, you know, know, I mean, you know, the thing that we do now, obviously, is the Mount Rushmore. Yep. Who would you put Who would you put on your UConn Mount Rushmore? Well, number one would be Ray Allen. Sure. Number two would be Richard Hamilton. Number three for me would be Kemba Walker. And then number four, you could take Emeka Okafor. You could take Ben Gordon. You could take Shabazz Napier. You know, and this is just the Calhoun era. Sure. Because there were great players before that, um, but they obviously never won national championships and didn't didn't get the recognition. But if I were gonna if I were gonna have an all time UConn in the time that I was there, Kemba and Gordon would be the backcourt. Ray, Ameka, and I'll tell you the guy I put up there, even though he only played two years there, was Karan Butler. Mm. Karan Butler had a, had in the in the in the East Regional Finals in 02, his last game at UConn against Maryland, which eventually went on to win their only national championship, he had like a 29-point second half and kept UConn in that game. And I also use Karan Grant as an example of why I loved being around the college athletes as much as I did. Because for me, one of the, one of the great thrills was watching young men and women come in as kids and leave as adults. And Karan's story has been well-documented. Sure. His problems as a kid growing up in Racine, Wisconsin, spending time, you know, incarcerated. And he, he wasn't sure what to expect when he got to UConn. He was quiet. He was withdrawn. He wasn't easy to, easy to talk to. And he wasn't rude. He was never rude, but he was just withdrawn. And his problem was he came in the same time as Diana Taurasi, who was the complete opposite of Quran. But between his freshman and sophomore year, Karan did a 180 as far as dealing with people, and I regard him now as one of the favorite people, one of the, wow. one of my no favorite Huskies of all time, both on and off the court. Boy, how about and that? It's just, yeah. it's just to me the example of, of how kids grow up when they go to college. And, of course, UConn and their women's program and what Gino Ariyama has done there, I mean, really a dynasty that just seems to go on and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's pretty fascinating that you were there and – experienced so many of those great years you just chronicled you know the final four but boy UConn and, and the women's program just the dynasty 
I would say that Gino is one of the five greatest coaches, men or women, in college basketball history. What he did there from scratch, taking over a program that was an afterthought in 85-86, along with Chris Daly, his associate head coach, who's still with him today, passed up many opportunities to become a head coach because she knew this was the place that she wanted to be. And look, she got... You know, she, her, and Gino were, were one and two. I mean, they were, they, they, they recruited together, they coached together. You know, she, she grabbed him more time on the sidelines and kept him from getting tossed off from games than anybody. But what, what they, what they did, and the way they elevated women's basketball first in Connecticut, and then because of their success and their rivalries with Tennessee and Notre Dame nationally. You know, I mean, look, it's still, it's still not as big a sport as some people in the women's game think it is nationally, but it's a lot bigger than it was in 1995. I can tell you that. Joe, growing up in Connecticut, where is the, the line between being Yankees fans, Giants, Jets fans compared to Red Sox, Patriots, and so on and so forth. Where, where, where is that? Where, where's, where's, where? Because you experienced both. You're, you got fans from both sides that you've been dealing with your whole life. I will take the Jets out of the mix because the Jets might as well been the, be the Bismarck Jets <laughs> for how much, for how many fans they have. In, Good point. They have in Connecticut. Good point. It's, it's Giants. It's Giants. Patriots. It's Yankees. Mets or Yankees. Red Sox. You know the Mets sure. have fans, but again, you know they're not. They're not in Bismarck, Grant. They might be in Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> as far as people in Connecticut are right. concerned. You know, it's it's Rangers, Bruins, it's Knicks, Celtics. Yep. It's right down the middle of the state. It's through Hartford, right down the middle. If you're if you're from the southeast, uh, the southwestern part of the state, if you're from Bridgeport, New Haven, Waterbury, most people there are are New York fans. If you go east of east of of Hartford, if you go to the eastern part of the state, the southeastern corner of the state, most people there are, are Red Sox fans. And when the two teams are good, it's a great rivalry. I still say there's more Giants fans than Patriots because, you know, when I was growing up in the days of black and white TV, you'd get one game a week and it'd be the Giants. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my father and I would tell my mother we had to eat at 1230 every Sunday so that because the Giants would come on then at 2 o'clock. So, you know, we'd be in front of the TV watching the watching the Giants, but it's right it's right down the middle of the state. I'd say I'd say baseball it's 50-50. I'd say in football, I still give the Giants a little edge. It's probably 55-45. The late part of the 70s, actually, you know, the middle of the 70s, you had the big red machine, you know, you had the Red Sox and the Reds, you had the Reds who swept the Yankees in 76. Then the Yankees win in 77. Of course, the Red Sox-Yankees, tremendous rivalry. The one-game playoff in 1978, Gidry winning his 25th game, Dent with the homer, Goose coming in in the seventh inning to get the save, Yastrzemski with the final out to pop up to Nettles. When you think about all of the tremendous games that have been played between those two cities with the sports teams, where do you put that one-game playoff, Yankees-Red Sox in 78? Oh, I'd put it, I'd put it, as, well, I, because I'm a Yankee fan, I'd put it as number one. Red Sox fans would put game seven of 04 up, up there. But I think, I think that game in 78 was, you know, was the ultimate because it was a one game playoff. It was a winner take all. And the ironic thing was, as a Yankee fan, I only got to watch the first couple of innings as I was working in radio. I had just started in radio at that point and I was on the air during that entire game. And it wasn't like you had as much access as you have now. Radio stations didn't have TVs in the studio. I had to keep running back to the, to the, to the wire machine as I'm playing music, checking out the scores and stuff. But I, I would say that game was it. And it, it, in fact, you'll appreciate this as a Yankee fan. When I did my, my sports talk show on WTIC, I would, if, if I wanted to, if I wanted to annoy Red Sox fans, which I, tended to do you know nine days a week i would go on the air and say okay red sox fans i have a poll for you which season ending pop-up by yes hurt you more was it the 75 world series or the 78 playoff oh my god i'm shocked my car i'm shocked i never went out to my car and the tires weren't weren't uh, slashed well so you i I would say i would say the 78 game annoyed red sox fans more 
All right, and then the Giants winning the Super Bowl against New England where the Patriots are trying for that undefeated season. I mean, you put the Yankees-Red Sox 78 right there. Is is it 1A and 1B with those two? Yes, I would say that I would say that the first Super Bowl win over the Patriots because they were undefeated because everybody thought that between Brady and Moss and all the players they had on defense that the Giants had no shot even though as a, as you remember the last game of the regular season the Giants played them yes. played them tough as nails and I think that was a credit to Coach Coughlin, who I had a chance to meet at a banquet here in Connecticut several years after that, and I got a chance to talk to him about it. And I said, I said, what was it that made you want to play that game all out? And he looked at me with that look like he would have if you were five minutes late to a meeting. Right. And he said, he said, because we always played to win, and we weren't going to back down, and we thought if we could get to them and play him in the meet him in the Super Bowl. If we had played him a great game in the regular season, that would be to our advantage. And I thought we would give him a great game, and they did. They did. I think the Patriots won 38-28 or something like that in that regular season game. But that became a footnote to to what for Giants sure. fans was probably the greatest win in, in franchise history. I don't think there's any question. You know, Bill Parcells was like that. Bill, you know, in games that didn't mean anything at the end of the season, don't tell that to Parcells. He'd have his all of his starters out there. They had the number one seed wrapped up, you know, and didn't matter. You, you were seeing Sims, Bavaro, Joe Morris. It didn't matter, though. The, the LT, Carson, Banks, didn't matter. They were playing. It, it, there was no such thing as rest with Parcells. And I, I've always liked that attitude, Joe. I really have always enjoyed coaches that coach that way. Well, and now you know if I hear the word load management one more oh time, my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna yep. I'm gonna rip up my headsets or something because it's just you know I mean imagine you're a family of four and you pay whatever oh. the exorbitant price is for four NBA tickets Terrible. to see to see LeBron or to see whomever. And then they come to town, and that player's not playing because he needs the night off. I, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. It's ter- you know, Russell never took a night off. Chamberlain never took a night off. Nope. Robertson never took a white night off. West, Baylor, all those people. Bird never took a night off, right? Jordan never took a night off. Magic never took a night off. And now we got a lot. You even get load management in baseball. Like the Yankees sat Stanton and Torres terrible. in the second game of their series with the, with the Rays. Now, look. They're both been been hideous, but still, you know, in baseball, you know, nobody will even come close to Cal Ripken's record. Joe, when you were growing up as a kid, who did you idolize? Who did you love listening to on the radio? There were two people, one in one in one in sportscasting, one in music. The sportscaster was Marv. I loved Marv. You know, I, I patted myself after him. You know, uh, I, I read one, or a couple of I read both of his books. I got my basketball game prep from the way that he set up his stat sheets, and I still use that to the time of my last game with UConn. And I love disc jockeys. I started my career playing music. In fact, I'm going to be playing music again at a at a station here on Saturday afternoons. And I love Dan Ingram. Dan Ingram was the, was the funniest man I've ever heard in my life uh, on WABC, and I would listen to him during the mm-hmm. summers. Uh, when I stayed on the shore in, in Connecticut. And those are the two guys who I think influenced my career more than they, and you, you know, as a kid growing up and getting you on the app, listening to you do Kings games. You know, I mean, that, that was a big influence on me too. Joe, I appreciate that. I'll tell you, it's amazing how many people I have on my podcast or I've had on my radio show over the years. When I asked them about, you know, the one person that was instrumental in them getting in the broadcasting or someone they idolized. It's Marv Albert. And whether I'm yeah. talking, it's unbelievable. And I wouldn't have been in the business had it not been growing up listening to Marv. There's just not a chance in the world. And, you know, not to be redundant for the people that have heard this story before, but my greatest thrill in broadcasting was the first time I did a game at Madison Square Garden with the Knicks in 1988. And I had my dad on the floor and I interviewed Marv Albert before the game for a halftime segment. And then I announced the game and I looked five seats down to my left and Marv is doing the game you know to me that it just didn't get any better than that to be at the garden doing a game against the Knicks with my dad there sitting and announcing the same game as Marv to this day that that's the greatest memory I have in broadcasting no question and by the way to straighten things out for people I am much older than Greg, so I did not <laughs> as a kid growing up well here's here's my Marv story so I would listen I lived in Hartford and get in the station that the Knicks and Rangers on 
required some creative listening that phase because WHN signal wasn't great. But I would listen to the games. And he was doing both the Knicks and the Rangers then. And I, I, I'd never seen a Knicks or Rangers roster because it wasn't like you could go on the, you could go on the internet then right. and, and, and scoot up a roster. So I wrote to, to, to Marvin WHN and said, I love your broadcast. I want to be a broadcaster. Is there any chance I could get a copy of a Knicks or Rangers roster? And so I mailed a letter and I thought, well, I'll never hear back. I must have been 10, 11. So, so I come home from school one day. I'm in grammar school. I come home from school one day and my mother says, you got an envelope from a radio station in New York. So I go in my bedroom and the envelope, she put the envelope on my bed. It was a manila envelope and it was addressed to me. And I opened it up and there was a nice letter. And not only had he sent me, not only had he sent a nice note saying, good luck, thanks for listening, I appreciate it. He sent me programs. Wow. He sent me a Nick Sixers program and a Rangers North Stars program. Wow. And I wish I still had them to this day because not from the standpoint of selling them, but just because... It, it was an amazing, and I always remember that when I got lucky enough to, yep. to be in the business, and kids would talk to you, and you know, people would people would approach you. I always remembered that gesture as being something that was o- over the over the top. You know, amen. A, a lot of people wouldn't do that. A lot of people wouldn't do that. I wrote Marv, and he wrote me back on WNBC Channel Four stationery with the large font because he had typed me the letter on what he used for his scripts for the teleprompter. And oh, for I, the teleprompter. Yep. Wow. So, so the, the font on the letter, which I still have, is larger than a regular font. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, and, absolutely. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So you know what's amazing, Joe? I listened to you tell that story, and I've heard so many others share similar stories. Could you imagine the amount of fan mail that Marv used to get and it appears to me that he returned and responded to every single person. That's remarkable. And New York being a godlike figure like Marv, he must have been flooded with people like you and me asking him for this and oh, that. No and, and yet, and yet, you received a, a, a reply. I received a reply. Everyone I talk to about this tells me they received a reply. That's saying yep. something about Marv Albert. Yeah, absolutely. You know that that's totally. That's totally the truth. I mean, it just it sells you something. Um, and, and and for those of us who ended up being in the business, Grant, I think it affected how we dealt with it. No people. question. No question, Joe. You're 100% correct. When you look back at your career, you talk about doing all those great runs at UConn, men and women, and you've done some other sports. You talk about doing national radio. Is there one thing that you wish you could have done that you've always wanted to do, but you probably will never get a chance to? I was always the one, the one thing about being at ESPN Radio that kind of annoyed me or disappointed me. I'm not going to say annoyed, but disappointed me was I never got a chance to do any of the college football bowl games. You know, I did the the only play-by-play broadcast I ever did for ESPN Radio. This was ironic. Was the first ever WNBA playoff game. Wow. We we did Houston. And I think it was Charlotte. We were in Houston, and my color analyst was Lisa Leslie. Mm. So that was pretty. That was pretty interesting. But never to get a chance to do college football was the was at, at ESPN was was I would say the one disappointment that I had. And it was just a. It, it wasn't anything against me. It was against, and you know this. Back in the day, when they would have college football bowl games, they'd have to get TV guys who they'd have to fill their contracts up with. You know, it was the old thing about, well, you have to work so many dates. So they would give them the games, and the TV guys would do a TV call on radio, which mm-hmm. I hate. I hated it too. Yep. Oh, it was just the worst. That that would be that would be my one disappointment. I was trying to think back then. I was there during the lockout season in 98. And I, right. I, I so I don't have, you know, vivid memory of what, the hierarchy was like there, but there clearly was a pecking order. And if you were on ESPN radio and you were doing game night or you were doing the NFL on Sunday or the MLB show, what have you, you kind of knew who was ahead of you in terms of if you had aspirations to doing play by play, correct? I mean, that it was. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I got, you know, and, and I'm forever grateful to John Martin, the chief who's yes. now retired yep. for, for putting me on, um, 
for putting me on the baseball pre and post game show and helping me get the NFL show. In fact, one of my one of my favorite ESPN stories was we would go to the All Star game from I went to the All Star. I went with Chuck for game night because it was in Boston in '99. That memorable night with Ted Williams mm. and Pedro striking out striking out five of the first six guys he faced. And then I would go to the All Star game every year except 03 because I was – no, 02 was it Milwaukee and 06 because they decided at that point – they had one of their many times where they said they were going to cut things and the first thing they wanted to cut was radio travel. But anyways, in 02 – in 03, the All-Star game was in Chicago. I was in the dugout. I was in the National League dugout wow. for that game. And John Rooney, uh, the great broadcaster sure. for the Cardinals, was in the American League dugout because he was a White Sox guy then. And we did in-game interviews and stuff, and then the American League came back and won. Hank Blaylock of the Rangers, I think, had a big hope run. I got a chance to interview him on the field afterwards. That was that was that, and being at doing game night at two Super Bowls, never getting to go to the games, but being able to do game night for for two Super Bowls was always was always exciting. In fact, one one of the Super Bowls was the Atlanta Super Bowl that Ray Lewis got in a, a tad of trouble, we might say after that game and i remember this we chuck and i chuck wilson and i broadcast from the nfl alumni awards dinner on the friday night before the super bowl when they would honor their player of the year and this and that and ray lewis was the linebacker of the year and he was presented by willie lanier wow we had willie lanier and ray lewis on the radio together and then when they got done with us they sat at a table next to us and talked for an hour, hmm. for an hour. And then two days later, Ray Lewis allegedly killed somebody, right? Or sure, was absolutely. Well, and, he, and, he, and he was never charged with it. Right. He was never charged with it, which is important. Well, he was, charged with, he, he was charged with obstruction of justice is what yes, he was charged right. with. And he, yes, that's, um, that's you, right. You know what's interesting? The thing that I loved and always remember, you know, if you, can, you, you have to go back to that era, and I'm talking about 98 and the power – of ESPN, and I remember doing game night, which we would do, Joe, from 7 at night until 1 in the morning. And so, That's right. you know, very often they would pull one of you out and you'd have to go record someone. But you could get – it didn't matter what happened. you They could get anyone on the phone. I remember something happened in the in the in either the World Series or the playoffs, and within five minutes they go, Earl Weaver's coming on. And I'm just like, wow, Earl Weaver's coming on? I mean, the power yeah. of ESPN Radio back then, the power of that brand, and I'm not saying it's not powerful now, but it was different back then, just amazed me that the, 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 the names and the type of people we could get on the air. Well, it was the Lone Wolf. Yes. It was the only It was the only game in town. I remember that 98 Yankees-Padres series Yep. because we had Dennis Eckersley yes. in studio with us as our in-studio analyst. And I'll tell you what. We used to watch the, the games with him, Joe. You, me, and yes. Eck used to be, while we weren't on, we were watching the World Series. We, uh, that was one of the f- most enjoyable times was sitting there Absolutely. watching the World Series with Eck. Wasn't it? And he would come in the studio, and he was he was hysterical. And and, I, and, and, and here this tells you about Eckersley. This is how great Eckersley is. I was, uh, this was after I'd left ESPN Radio, obviously, but I was still working at WTIC in Hartford doing sports, and we would do Friday night shows from Fenway Park. So I go in the I go in the dining room after the show got done before the game started, and Eck was in there, and I figured he's not going to remember me from from a <laughs> hole from a hole in the wall. So I go up to him and I say, "Hey Dennis, I don't know if you remember." Yeah, I remember you, Jody Ambrosio, ESPN Radio. Uh, it could have been nicer. Yeah, could not have been. It could not have been have been nicer. Yeah. Well, they were a lone wolf then, Grant. There was no competition. There was no Fox Sports Radio. There was no. CBS Sports Radio or NBC Sports Radio, and it was ESPN. And people associated ESPN with with what they did TV wise. And as radio, we were the beneficiaries of of what happened with that. And we would get amazing guests. We would we would get people on, and we'd get them on five minutes after the game ends. It's not like <laughs> right. we had to wait. It's not like we had to wait two hours. It's like ten minutes after the game ends. Here's so and so. It was it was it was amazing. The pull, and we had great, we had great producers, we had Phenomenal. great people, Phenomenal. working behind, working behind the scenes. It was, it was, it was one of my, it was, it was, it's part of a career that I enjoyed the most was, was being there, and again, getting to work with Tony and with Chuck and 
with Chris Moore, who I'm still friends with today. And obviously, you know, we had a lot of, you know, I, I became fast friends with you and with Pete Weber, yep. who's the Nashville Predators yep. voice. And, you know, Matt Pinto, you know, guys who they would bring in, Chuck Cooperstein. Steve Dumas you know, used to come in with from the Bucks. you know. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, the big dog. Yeah. 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 Big dog. And of course, we had Todd Wright, Todd Wright over, Todd Wright all night. Yep. With his own brand of radio magic, you know, and, and Bobby Valvano, who's who's remained a good love. Bobby, I just talked to. I just was hitting up Bobby. I'm, you know, he's uh, that health scare that he's undergoing. I just literally texted with him last week. Uh, Bob Valvano. I mean, just just the salt of the earth. If you don't like Bob Valvano, something's wrong with you. I I have to tell you my favorite Bob Valvano story. And I told I told it on his show in Louisville, so I don't feel bad about telling it here. But um, we know we had the ESPN softball team that played in the in the ESPN league in, in the mornings. And our, our our after Lenny Weiner left, our program director was a guy named Eric Schoenfeld, who was not beloved by anybody. So we got our softball uniforms that year, and instead of putting radio on the front, we put the initials FES. You can imagine what it stood for, okay? Well, somebody somebody got hold of that, and we got called on the carpet, not by not by Schoenfeld, but either by Lenny or by somebody. I forget who called right. us on the carpet. It was me, and it was me and Bobby because they figured we were the ringers. Right? <laughs> Bobby, and you remember Bobby was a Division three co- coach, yes. So he obviously could recruit. He obviously could could talk, and his brother was Jim Valvano. He talked us out of that situation. In I just sat there with my with my trying to make sure my mouth wasn't wide open because it was he just he just no no it means fun entertainment and sports and I'm looked at him I gave him one of those radar O'Reilly looks to Nashville I looked I'm like what the hell are you talking about uh, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm telling you, man, you know, I mean, even the producers, Paul Nanos, Ian Fitzsimmons, who's doing fabulous. I mean, we just oh, had Teddy Ganji, I, I, I know, Kelvin Martinez. I mean, we had, we had yeah. awesome people working for us then. Well, I got to tell you. And even the board ops knew sports. Bob Joyce yes. was a board op there, and he's been doing the UConn women's games for 116 years now. <laughs> I'll tell you, seriously, those were some great times. I, I really uh, just so have enjoyed knowing you all these years and getting to work with you and doing some shows back then. Truly, it was one of the great times of my life, uh, even though it was, you know, I'd, I'd do my show, Joe, on Friday. I'd get off at 7 o'clock. I would take the red eye through Chicago, land at Hartford, 7 in the morning, go to my national rental car, get in a car, go to Bristol, check into the Radisson, sleep four hours, go across the street, walk into that little bread box of a studio, you know. Oh, my God. Right? The, the initial studio. <laughs> Right. I mean, people don't understand. It was a closet. Yes. It 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 was it was a closet <laughs> that right. we that we worked out of. Yeah. But it but it also brought up one of my favorite, one of the funniest memories when I was there. It was I forget who the third person was, but I know it was I think it was Chuck, or it might have been Bob Picozzi. But we're in the studio, and Melissa Stark walks by. Now, if you remember Melissa sure, Stark, of course. Was, was sure. smart, yep. wonderful on the air, and, and, and beautiful. And beautiful, yes. So Melissa Stark comes by, and Tony, we're on the air, and Tony yells out to her, right? <laughs> hey, Melissa, get in here. <laughs> she comes walking in the studio, and she sits on my armrest, oh. okay? Before you know it, everybody from ESPN Radio was crowded into the control booth for <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm telling you, you're killing me, Joe. Unbelievable. And, 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 and I mean, it was just, that's the kind of thing, you know, that's the kind of thing that we had. So we had so many good times. One, I'll give you one more story. Uh, we're at the Super Bowl. Um, and it, it was Atlanta. So we're in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. And Linda Cohn and I are doing Saturday night from the ESPN zone at Buckhead. Mm-hmm. And as you know, at Super Bowls, there's, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of show business people there. And there was always cross promotion back then. Well, Kim Delaney from NYPD Blue was there, okay? I had a crush on Kim Delaney, all right? I'm not going to lie. I thought she was beautiful. <laughs> so she, we get her on, and she's got her son with her, who's five years old at the time. And she's got a glass with her. We figured it was water. It was vodka, because later it came out that she, you know, she had a little bit of a, of a, of a drinking problem, which fortunately is not a, a, in, in her life anymore. So her kid's with us, 
sitting there and we're talking to her, we're interviewing her and stuff. And all of a sudden, the kid reaches out and takes a drink. Oh, boy. Thinking it was water. Oh, boy. It was vodka. It was straight vodka. We're all looking at it, and there's like five seconds of dead air, which is, you know, in radio, must just, might as well be five minutes, right? And we're all diving in different directions to grab the kid, to grab the vodka. Um, but those are, you know, I mean, we had so many. There's so many great memories of, of working there. And like I said, um, and, and this is not to be patronizing, but getting to, getting to know you because I knew you from your NBA stuff and, and, and getting a chance to work with you was, was, was a lot of fun. And then we've maintained our friendship over the years. Been phenomenal. Uh, I cannot thank you enough, Joe, for reminiscing, uh, bringing back some of those great memories and really going over your career and some of the great moments you've had, man. I wish you uh, continued uh, health, uh, stay well. And again, I can't thank you enough, buddy. Grant, you're one of my favorite people. Thank you for, for giving me the chance to be on with you and your, and your podcast listeners and, uh, uh, good, good, good health to you and everybody in your life. And, and I wish nothing but the best for you because you deserve it. It is now time for our Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com, sign up, takes about a minute, and maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. Joe wants to know how many pitchers do you expect to get suspended for foreign substances? I'm going to do my rant on this, Joe, but I, I think it's a great question. The fact that the players will not forfeit pay if they get suspended, I don't I don't like that. If you're going to suspend a player for cheating, then he should be suspended without pay. I would say not many, Joe. I would say not many, but I, I, we'll talk about this. I think if umpires are going to check a starting pitcher once or twice and they don't know when they're going to be checked, I, I can't imagine them still trying to have a foreign substance uh, on the baseball. But it is a fabulous question. Paulie wants to know who had your favorite dunk contest performance. And I haven't watched a dunk contest in several years. But my favorite of all time is Spud Webb when he won the dunk contest at 5'7". I still think to this day that's one of the most amazing things uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, Eric from Sacramento wants to know who is my all-time Sacramento Kings starting five. Well, my center would be Vladi Divac. My power forward would be Weber. My small forward would be Stoyakovich. My shooting guard would be Mitch Richmond. And my point guard would be De'Aaron Fox. Now, I know that's surprising that people would say, how come you don't have Mike Bibby on there? I think Fox is a more dynamic player. And I love Bibby. He was a big-time shot maker. But... Fox is just supremely talented. So I know a lot of people would disagree with that selection of point guard. I'd love to know what you think. Very good question, though. Very good question. Jake asked, have you seen that the NBA is $6.7 billion in debt? I have not seen that. I do know that the NBA has lost a ton of money, but I don't know about those figures, so I can't really comment uh, on that. Michael wants to know, just saw this question on SI.com. Would you rather have Patrick Mahomes with Josh Allen's weapons or vice versa? That's a fabulous question. Wow. You know what? I don't even know because both teams have great weapons. I mean, when you look at Kelsey and you look at Hill and wow. You know what? I think I would take Patrick Mahomes with Allen's weapons. But that that's a toss-up. It's a great, great question from uh, SI.com. Ben wants to know, was Jokic the right choice for MVP? You know, the voting for these things is a popularity contest right now. I mean, is Jokic truly the best player in basketball? No, not in my opinion. But he won the MVP. And it's it, how do you define the MVP? Is it the very best player in the league? Or is it the player that had the best year in the league. And I know that those kind of are similar, but I mean, how do you define most valuable player? Aaron wants to know, have you seen the sports insider study showing LeBron is the most hated player, most hated player by whom by the fans or by other NBA players? I have not seen that. I hate to use the word hated, all right, because I I don't hate LeBron James, but I dislike him for the way he's handled himself this past year. I still love him as a basketball player, 
but I don't hate LeBron. So how about if we use the term the most disliked player? Can we go there? I would think he's number one on the list from a fan's perspective. I really do. Ron wants to know who's the, or Rob, who's the best coach available for the Blazers? Well, first of all, I think it starts with Damian Lillard. They got to make sure that Lillard stays there. I think there are a lot of excellent candidates out there that could coach that team and coach that team well. When you say who's the best coach available, I mean, is Jeff Van Gundy available? Does he want to coach that team? I think he'd be great there. Uh, Dylan wants to know, should the MLB have an automated strike zone? If they do, I'm going to stop watching the game. Justin wants to know, did you expect the Suns to play this well in the playoffs? I did not, Justin. I did not. Pretty amazing. I, I really am surprised. Sean wants to know, what's your favorite New York City pizza? I really like them all, to be honest with you. I like Ray's Pizza. Uh, there's a place down uh, at Penn Station where the Long Island Railroad comes and goes that has phenomenal pizza. It's among my favorite anywhere uh, in the city. So, but but I don't really think it's, I, I, I like it all, to be honest with you. Jason wants to know, should Monty Williams have won Coach of the Year? I think he should have. I'm not saying Tom Thibodeau did not deserve it, but Monty Williams deserved it just as much as Tom Thibodeau, did he not? A little surprised by that. I got to be honest with you. It's a very, very good question. All right, let's get to uh, another question here uh, from Ricky. Is the MLS expanding too fast? I believe that they are expanding too fast, but the money is so large, the expansion fees keep on going up and up. The MLS can't say no, but yes, I think that they are. Brad wants to know, what do you think about the Navy not letting Cameron Kinley play in the NFL? It's a fabulous, fabulous question. Fabulous question. The problem with this is it appears that Cameron didn't get the same treatment as other midshipmen that wanted to get into professional sports. Now, Cameron has been very open that he wants to fulfill his obligation to the country. Now, when you join the military, when you join the Naval Academy, when you decide that's what's going to be your career path, it is known that when you graduate, you will be commissioned. And that is part of being a Naval officer. And so you know that going in. But the Naval Academy has made exceptions for other Cadets, all right, or not cadet, other midshipmen that, and they do this at Army too. They do this at West Point too, all right? They've done that for the cadets. That's why I said that. This is not something that is just never done. It is done. So why would you do it for some and not others? That's the biggest issue that I have here. It almost seems like they're discriminating against Cameron in a way. Uh, It's confusing. It's a great, great question. And I know I'm going around and about here. So I'm going to answer it this way. If you're going to do it for some, then you need to do it for all. And again, these athletes are not saying we are not going to fulfill our naval obligations. We're just going to postpone them for a little while. How do you feel about it? It's a great question. Thank you for our questions via CrowdUltra.com. That's CrowdUltra.com. It's time for Rant. Hey, today's rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company, audio, video, and home theater. Just go online, hometheatercompany.com. That's hometheatercompany.com. All right, there is, uh, I, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people I think like me that are having trouble watching Major League Baseball. I, I barely can get through two innings. I I really have trouble watching the game. So, what's Major League Baseball going to do? They're going to try to get the ball put into play. Thank God. Thank freaking goodness. So, how are they going to do this? They are going to start checking pitchers for foreign substances. Now, you may ask, is this really necessary? And the answer to that question is a big time yes. I have talked to many people inside the game of baseball. And I'm talking about high-ups inside the game of baseball. And they tell me that they feel that 90% of the pitchers 
in Major League Baseball use a foreign substance. It could be something as simple as sunscreen with rosin on top of that, which makes your arm very sticky. Therefore, you put your fingers on your arm, you grab the ball, and your spin rate increases. What happens when the spin rate on a baseball is at a very high rate? Well, it's very difficult to hit. And then you have boring baseball. So here's the problem I do have with all of this. And this does not make sense to me. So if a pitcher gets caught with a foreign substance, they get suspended for 10 games. But they get suspended for 10 games and they still get paid. Is that a big enough deterrent? I mean, if you're caught cheating and you get suspended for 10 games, shouldn't you get suspended without pay? Who the hell gets suspended and gets paid? I mean, that's ridiculous. Major League Baseball, if you're going to do it, do it right. It's absurd. But thank goodness that baseball is finally doing this. And why in the middle of the season, Rob Manford? You know this has been going on for years. You're going to start doing it in the middle of freaking June? I mean, what the hell is wrong with you? It's just why, why are we not doing this at the beginning of the season? Here's something else. We're going to find out, okay, who really are the very best pitchers in baseball. And we're going to find out who has really benefited the most by using foreign substances. Now, I know I just said that, that they believe there's 90%, but I've also talked to a lot of people. They don't all use the same substances, and some pitchers have a higher spin rate, blah, blah, blah. It's all damn confusing based on the analytics. Here's what I do know. Maybe I'll start watching baseball again when the ball is actually put into play and I see defense have to play defense. And I can see good plays again, all right? And I can go and I can actually enjoy a baseball game, which I cannot do currently. So it's about damn time for baseball. But why are you not taking the pay away if a player gets caught cheating? That's the part I don't understand. But this is freaking long overdue. And that's my rant for today. Really appreciate Joe D'Ambrosio coming on. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Make sure you check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. Have yourself a fabulous weekend. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.